Hi friends, I'm Tierney. And I'm Shelby. And we're Dead, Dead Drunk. Drunk. Have a Christmas. Have a Christmas, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> it's Christmas Eve. It's Christmas Eve, and it's pretty crazy. Remember that Blink-182 song that's like, it's Christmas Eve, and I've only wrapped two fucking presents. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> but I want that to be my, <laughs> my Christmas jam from now on. Yeah. I usually listen to the South Park Christmas album all Christmas long. Oh, I didn't know there was a South Park oh. Christmas album, but I'm also like... It's super amazing, and I highly recommend it. There's this song where um, it's pretty relevant to like everything that we talk or about or or do called "Dead, Dead, Dead," where they sing uh, just one line of it is like, "What a festive season! Someday you'll be dead." <laughs> dead, <laughs> dead. <laughs> oh my god! Well, I'm not surprised by that at all. It sounds great. It's it's amazing. That one's really good. And then the song where Cartman is singing about his Swiss Colony beef log, which is the it's. I think it's actually a log of meat, which I've never gotten before, but he's literally like, Christmas isn't Christmas without a Swiss colony beef log. <laughs> well, it's an amazing album. I guess Highly I've never recommend. Really had Christmas, though. Five stars. <laughs> Rate us five stars on Apple. If, <laughs> <laughs> if, if you, you love the South Park Christmas <laughs> album. Word, dude. All right. So. Anyway, to get into something less joyful, we're going to talk about the murder of Lacey Peterson today, which I'm sure you've heard about. Yeah, or it's been like really a hot topic recently. Yeah, it's yeah, it's making a comeback. No, it's been <laughs> it's been talked about pretty much, I think, consistently since she disappeared. Yeah, and but I feel like wasn't there a documentary or something? I don't know. I feel like more people are talking. Yeah, about there it was. Now. There was a documentary released last year on Annie, gotcha. a docuseries. Whatever you want to call it, um, yeah, on the mur- called the murder of Lacey Peterson. Word, word. I haven't watched it. Have you watched it? I f- believe that's what inspired me to do it because. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, but I can't remember exactly what I put on because it was just on Hulu. But I would bet you it's that one. Because <laughs> normally, if I see Scott Peterson, I'm like, oh, I don't need to hear anything Ugh. about him. I already got it. Yeah. But this one I put on, and I was like, Wait, wait! <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, Hold yeah. on. So, I'm going to try and tell you the whole story. This will be two parts. So, this is going to be part one. And then in part two, part two is a little bit longer. Um, but the drink gets better, too. So, there's that. Word. So, speaking of drink, what's our drink for part one? Well, we're going pretty Christmassy with this one. And what you're going to do is get an ice cube and put it in a glass. And then pour some rum over it. You know, a shot or however much you want. <laughs> and then you pour some eggnog in it. Again, to your discretion. It, it's your drink. You're going to put it in your mouth. Put some eggnog over it. And then I put some cinnamon on it because it makes it super tasty. So and good. It's so good. Drink it. Put it Put it in your mouth. Drink it down the hatch. Lock it. Put it in your pocket. Uh, it's really good. I actually, I'm already done with mine. But, <laughs> but it's really good. And it makes me think of Christmas. Yeah. Now to ruin that joy for you, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> to ruin the Christmas spirit, let's talk about death. Happy Christmas! Welcome <laughs> to a show about death. <laughs> anyway, L- Lacey Denise Rocha was born May 4th, 1975 to high school sweetheart Sharon and Dennis Rocha. Which I think is a pretty rough name to grow up with, but I might just be pronouncing it wrong. Rocha? Rocha. Well, my last name is Hornbeck, so I feel I feel the pain. Hmm. It could be worse, though. Can't it, Adam? So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what his last name is. <laughs> it's fine. We can't say it on the podcast. We'd have to bleep it out. <laughs> anyway, they owned a dairy farm in Escalon, California. 
Starting at a young age, Lacey, I hit a wrong button and I missed my, I lost my place. I'm so sorry, future it's okay. I just got a text from Chili's that said my order is on the way, but I literally got my order um, two well, hours what ago. What order, Chili's? I ordered a c- case. No, I know before, but like text back, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have mucus. Sorry. They owned a dairy farm in Escalon, California, and from a young age, Lacey worked on the farm and learned how to garden by working with her mother. This fostered a love of plants in Lacey that she would carry with her for the rest of her life. Unfortunately, Sharon and Dennis divorced when Lacey and her older brother Brent were still pretty young. They moved to Modesto with their mother. However, the kids still got to visit and probably work on the dairy farm on the weekends, which I guess they liked. But I mean, I would have just liked the cows, I think. I love cows. They're one of my favorite animals. They're really cute. They really are. I know. I saw my uncle's girlfriend, who is now my aunt, she had Highland cows on her farm. Oh, those are the best kind. Yeah, they were so so beautiful. Anyway. Fluffy and cute. (laughs) Eventually, both Sharon and Dennis remarried. Dennis added a new stepson to the family and then a daughter of his own. And Sharon married a man named Ron Gransky, who helped raise Lacey from the time she was two years old. Lacey was a cheerleader all through junior high and high school, so she was probably pretty cool. Then, after she graduated from Thomas Downey High School, she studied ornamental agriculture at California California Polytechnic University. I love the journey for her. Yeah, see, I told you the gardening would come back. (laughs) She really loved it. While she attended college, Lacey would sometimes visit her friend who worked at a restaurant in Morrow Bay called the Pacific Cafe. During one visit in 1994, her friend introduced her to one of their co-workers, Scott Peterson. Boo. <laughs> Lacey made the first move, giving Scott her phone number. Immediately after their first meeting, Lacey told her mother that she had met the man that she was going to marry. That's a problem. <laughs> Scott later called her and the two began dating. The first date didn't really go all that well, though. Scott took her on a deep sea fishing trip on which Lacey got sick, which is pretty understandable. Okay, who? Please tell me who the fuck is like a good idea for a first date is deep sea fishing. Scott Peterson. (laughs) Fuck you, Scott Peterson. (laughs) No, if somebody tried to take me deep sea fishing on a first date, I would be like, I'm sorry. I don't think this is going to work. I don't do that. (laughs) No, thank you. So, because I would have gotten sick, too, honestly. As the relationship between them grew more serious, though, Scott put his dreams of being a pro golfer aside to focus on a more stable. (laughs) (laughs) You adjusted yourself like, oh, I got something to say about this. (laughs) Okay. So he he put aside being a pro golfer, which was probably the best choice, and opted for a more stable path in business. mm? (laughs) I just like I feel like I can't take anything. Why are they why are these his choices? Like deep sea fishing. Oh, I think I could be a pro golfer. Deep sea fishing for a first date is pretty intense. I'll give you that one. But maybe it was just his dream. Maybe he really liked golf. I don't care. Maybe he was even, <laughs> maybe he was even good at it. What about Lacey's dreams? Oh god. We have not even st- I'm sorry. started. <laughs> so after just two years of dating, the couple moved in together. Which is fine. That seems like a pretty decent time. Lacey took a job in the nearby area of Prunedale to pay the bills while Scott focused solely on finishing his senior year of college. Before he did, though, the couple decided to tie the knot. On August 9th, 1997, Lacey and Scott got married at the Sycamore Mineral Springs Resort. And the next summer, Scott graduated with his degree in agricultural business. Initially, the two recent graduates decided to open a sports bar together called The Shack. In the beginning, business was rather slow, but over time it picked up, especially on the weekends, as it does for bars. Then, after a few years of running the shack, the Petersons sold the sports bar and moved into a three-bedroom, two-bath bungalow house in Lacey's hometown of Modesto. It was apparently a pretty nice house. It cost a decent chunk of money, which I'm forgetting off the top of my head right now, but... (laughs) It's fine. They were rich. Not long after moving, Lacey landed a part-time job as a substitute teacher, and Scott found work with TradeCorp USA, a newly founded subsidiary of a European fertilizer company. Girl, uh, I feel you being a sub, bitch. You got this. 
Yeah. The kids are going to hate you, but it's going to be fine. At least she wasn't dealing with fertilizer. That is true. <laughs> Except for she probably would have loved that. Would have loved dealing with fertilizer. Oh, yeah, because she yeah, <laughs> she was she was good at gardening. She's good at gardening, so she probably would have liked that because it would have been part of her. Mm, I don't know. Scott probably liked it too, despite how crappy it may sound. <laughs> but I'm true. Um, he earned a salary of five thousand dollars a month before taxes. Acor- That's like pretty good. Yeah, I think it's pretty okay. I told John that salary, and he was like, "That's nothing." I'm like, "Okay, well I now mean, maybe." Yeah. I, I mean, don't know. That's like fine. Like it's fine. It's pretty good, I think, for coming out of college and landing a job at a fertilizer company. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I think it's pretty good. According to Lacey's family, she was spending this time working to be the perfect housewife, taking a newly enthused interest in cooking and entertaining. They were all very excited to hear the news in 2002 that Lacey and Scott Peterson were expanding their family and having a baby. Yeah, the baby. How does Moira say baby? Baby. Baby. <laughs> They're having a baby. Baby. At first, Lacey's due date was set for February 10th, 2002, but was later changed to February 16th in her second trimester, which I think is pretty typical. I think you can get it wrong a lot of the time. Sure. Whatever. (laughs) They plan to name their kid Connor. He's going to be a boy. No one deserves (coughs) to be forgotten. Oh, I forgot his (laughs) name was Connor. (laughs) Oh, okay. So this relates to Dear Evan Hansen. So for the caboose, I will be singing. Disappear? No. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> because it's Christmas, our caboose is going to be Christmas. Oh, my God. Yeah. I really can't stay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So on December 23rd, 2002, a little after 8.30 a.m., Lacey left the house dressed in casual black capri pants a white shirt, and Mary Jane-style black shoes to pick up a few things at Trader Joe's. I feel like you're telling me this because she's not going to come back, is she? Well, this is on December 23rd, so I'm just giving you as correct a timeline as I could come up with. Okay. <laughs> About two hours later, the excited mother-to-be treated herself to a facial wax and manicure at a local day spa. Love that girl. Yeah, Go sounds off pretty six. good right now. Later at 5.45 p.m., Scott and Lacey went to Amy, Lacey's half-sister's place of work, a salon called... Salon, salon. <laughs> so creative. <laughs> I know. I don't know who. Salon, I hope, salon. I hope that she didn't own it and name it that. <laughs> Amy, girl. Just like she did every month, Amy cut Scott's hair and the family members caught up. According to Amy, Scott offered to pick up a fruit basket that she had ordered as a Christmas gift for her grandfather the next day. Since the pickup place was near a golf course where he would be playing. Pro golfer much? <laughs> this was apparently a plan that Scott had relayed to many of their friends that day. He told a bunch of people he was going golfing. Okay. Later that night at around 8.30 p.m., Lacey called her mother, Sharon, to chat about the family dinner set for the next night, Christmas Eve. This would be the last time that either of them would ever speak to Lacey. According to Scott, the couple then watched TV together before settling into bed for the night. So the next day's events are a little bit muddled, but I'm going to put them together the best that I can from... A ton of sources. I looked at a bunch of places for this (laughs) for this episode. Love that. I think I got it pretty good. Let's see. So this is on Christmas Eve 2002. At 845 a.m. Authorities know that someone used the Peterson's computer to search the Internet for a gab scarf and sunflower umbrella stand. It probably wasn't Scott, but yeah, it sounds like something a woman would search for. I mean, if he, you know, it's 2019. Well, it's 2002. He can. uh he can go off, sis, but probably her, right? Yeah, probably more likely okay. her. Scott told the police that when he left the house at 9.30 a.m. to go fishing at the Berkeley Marina, Lacey was still watching a Martha Stewart special on Meringue. Also, according to Scott, Lacey was planning on using the rest of the day to mop the floor, bake some cookies, and walk the couple's dog, Mackenzie, to the nearby dog park. Lacey, at this time, is eight months pregnant. But so she's, she's, she's going and walking the dog with her, like, pregnant Oh, belly. she's still doing her thing. She's a boss. I, I wouldn't, but she's... <laughs> if I was Scott, I'd be like, it's okay. I'll walk I'll walk the dog. I'll take care of it. You sit home and Oh, but he's got to go fishing alone. Ooh. On Christmas Eve? Yeah, I'm not saying that he's a great guy. He's... <laughs> leave your pregnant wife on Christmas Eve to go fishing. I don't know why anybody would want to go fishing on Christmas Eve. It's cold. In San Francisco, it's cold most of the time, right? Yeah. So 
in that area. An elderly neighbor of theirs saw Lacey walking the dog that morning, just as she had planned. Then another neighbor of the Petersons, Karen Servas, said that she found their dog at around 1030 the next morning and returned her to the Petersons backyard. So she was like on her leash, but like outside of the house. Mm hmm. OK, so that's what another neighbor, Mike Chiavetta, said that he found her wandering around the neighborhood with a muddy leash and returned her to the Petersons yard at about 1045. So she was either I don't know if these are have actually been corroborated by somebody, but multiple people saw said they saw the dog and returned it. So maybe Mackenzie got out a bunch of times. But if she had the leash on. Yeah, she did have the leash it, on. That has been said by multiple people. Isn't it like possible that Lacey was like taken while she was walking the dog and then that's why she was still on the leash outside? Interesting theory. Okay. <laughs> So despite Scott's chat with Amy the evening before in which he discussed his plans to go golfing, Scott was actually fishing and he told the police that he was fishing for sturgeon in the Berkeley Marina. At 2.15 p.m. he left a message for Lacey saying, hey beautiful, it's 2.15, I'm leaving Berkeley. Scott also said that later when he returned home he found the house empty but Lacey's car was still there. This didn't initially concern him since Lacey had said she was going to take the dog out for a walk earlier. So Scott decided to shower and wash his clothes, which he later explained by saying he got wet from fishing. Well, to be. No, that's a fair thing to say. Yeah. I, you could get wet from fishing and, and want to like, shower. So fish like smells. No. Yeah. They... Like I wouldn't be surprised if somebody the first thing they did after coming home from fishing was take a shower because it's probably like really smelly. Yeah, it's it's fine. However, in this particular instance. It's a little yeah. bit suspicious. Yeah, ab absolutely. When Lacey didn't return home by 5.15 that evening, Scott finally got concerned. Not finally. He he thought she was out doing something. At eight months pregnant, walking around, I would have been concerned a little bit before that, but... Yeah. Everybody thinks differently. Maybe she was a very independent woman. I, I get that so, from her. Yeah. yeah. Scott grew concerned and called his mother-in-law to see if she had heard from Lacey. After a half hour of not hearing from her, Lacey's stepfather, Ron Gransky, called the police to report her missing. When the police arrived at the Petersons' house, they discovered Lacey's purse and keys in the closet. The couple's dining room table was still perfectly set for the family's Christmas dinner and brightly wrapped presents sat neatly under the tree, including one from Lacey that Scott would later open to find a table saw. She bought him a table saw. That's dope. Oh, what a good wife. I bet he felt really guilty when he opened that. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Maybe he was just sad. <laughs> According to detectives, Scott remained dead calm despite the fact that his eight months pregnant wife was missing. Even more disturbing was what one detective found on the kitchen counter, which was a phone book lying open to a full page ad for a defense lawyer. So it's it's not a good look right off the bat. Yeah. Why would he need a defense lawyer? I mean, if in his slight defense, what do we always say? The husband did it. So. Yeah, that's true. So he maybe. He maybe had watched some true crime shows or listened to some true crime podcasts. I don't. <laughs> I think podcasts were around at this point. Yeah. And I mean, even if he didn't, it's kind of safe to say that the husband is going to be the first person that is a suspect. Yeah. It's. It's a safe bet. Still not a great look. Nope. Modesto police detectives John Bueller and Alan Brocchini, or Bocchini, I'll probably go in between those two, the lead detectives on the case, questioned Scott that evening. He told them that he had gone fishing about 90 miles away from the couple's Modesto home. Although they didn't immediately reveal this to the public, the police suspected Scott from the very beginning. Bueller later told ABC News, quote, I suspected Scott when I first met him. Didn't mean he did it, but I was a little bit thrown off by his calm cool demeanor and his lack of questioning he wasn't will you call me back can i have one of your cards what are you guys doing now he so didn't. he like didn't really care about not that he didn't care but he didn't show interest in what the police was doing to find his wife right he didn't seem to care to them i mean you never know how you're going to react in that situation especially if it's never happened to you and like everybody's different so that might have been him like trying to stay out of their way and let them do their job. I like, I don't. Yeah, I don't. Alert, like, I think that he obviously had something to do with it. But like, <laughs> if we're going to look at it. No, from, do you? 
Well, <laughs> as of, I mean, I don't. Yeah, I mean, as of right now, yeah. Um, but if we're gonna look at it from like a neutral perspective, mm-hmm. like I don't want to say that because of how he's acting that he definitely did it. Yeah, he. Because um, you never know. Because anybody can react in any way. You don't know yeah. how you'd react to that kind of news. Because hopefully you never get it. So despite these suspicions, they kept it a secret from the public, mostly due to the support that Scott was receiving from Lacey's family. They completely believed he was innocent. They never thought he had anything to do with it. So in the weeks following her disappearance, hundreds of search parties were organized and fundraisers were held to create a local volunteer headquarters. On December 30th, both Scott and Lacey's families hosted an emotional candlelight vigil to draw more attention to the case. Okay. How did Scott act during this vigil, huh? Well, on his way to the vigil, Scott made a call to his girlfriend, Amber Frey, telling her that he was on his way to Normandy, France, and would be spending New Year's Eve in Paris. I'm sorry. Who's Amber Frey? Well, Amber is a masseuse, I believe. Oh. Um, Scott met Amber at a pest control trade conference in Anaheim a few months earlier in October 2002. Despite having a wife who was then six months pregnant, Scott immediately hit on a shapely platinum blonde at the conference named Sean Sibley. When she told him that she was engaged because she's a super decent person, Scott reportedly begged her to set him up with one of her friends. Sibley recalled Scott saying, I'm tired of one night stands with bimbos without brains. So she suggested her best friend, Amber, who she explained was smart, but a bit on the skinny side, to which Scott replied, oh, I like thin women. His wife is six months pregnant at this point. Not a good look, bro. I'm sorry. I'm tired of one night stand. You're literally married. Yeah. Yep. So Sibley didn't know this, though. So she's not at fault. (sighs) A month later, on November 20th, Scott and Amber met for an intimate dinner at a fancy sushi place. Then the two went back to his hotel under the guise of Scott having to change before they went out dancing. According to Amber, when they got inside the hotel room, Scott pulled out a bottle of champagne and a box of strawberries. After sharing a glass, or more likely two, they then went out to a karaoke bar where they slow danced together before sharing a passionate kiss. Of course, the night ended in steamy hotel sex. I know he's not a great guy, but doesn't it kind of... I was just going (laughs) to say, doesn't it kind of piss you off that he's so good at dating? He's so obviously good at dating. Oh, God. Like, I would love to go to a karaoke bar. With somebody that isn't Scott Peterson. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way to do it, guys who aren't married. (laughs) Boys, if you're listening and you're not married, I would love to go to a karaoke bar with some champagne. And then we can share a passionate kiss. And then hotel sex. Hotel sex. Sorry, mom. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not going to be with Scott Peterson. So for the second date... Both these dates are also way better than deep sea fishing. Yeah. So, yeah. He, like, he must have gotten better at dating since then. I was going to say. The guy who took her. De- he just is an asshole to her. <laughs> Bring her to a karaoke bar, not a fucking sea. Wait until the second date. When Scott cooked, Scott made seafood lasagna. And then they shared that over a bottle of wine. And, and then they had sex again. But according to Amber, Scott told her that there would be many more corks, many more bottles to share. God, I hate him. I hate that he's good at it. He's uh, and yeah, why didn't he's he? He's being so suave. I can't even be mad at Amber Frey. No, I, I I get it, but come on. So when Thanksgiving came around, Scott had devised the perfect excuse to avoid seeing Amber over the holidays. He told her that he was fishing with his father up in Alaska. Why is fishing <laughs> always the? I don't know, but it worked for her. She she just said, okay. In early December, however, Scott was almost revealed when Sibley learned that he was married. How'd she learn this? I don't know how she figured it out. I uh, It's early December. No, I don't know how she figured it out. But she did call him to confront him about it. And Scott broke down in hysterics and told her that he'd recently lost his wife. According to the New York Post, just two days after telling Sibley that he was a recent widower, Scott searched the web for information on the title movements in the San Francisco Bay. Wait, I'm confused. Yeah. Is Sibley Amber Frey? Oh, no, I'm sorry. Sean Sibley is the woman that set Right, so he's still talking to her, too? I don't believe that he's still talking with her because she's engaged and appears to be a decent human being. Okay. But she 
somehow found out that he was married and knows that Amber is still seeing him. So she's the one that confronted him, but Amber still doesn't know. No, she she does know, but I think Sibley also told her what Scott said, which was that he lost his wife. Oh, okay. So apparently just two days after he told Sean Sibley that he was a recent widower, he searched the web for information on tidal movements in the San Francisco Bay. The following day, Scott purchased a fishing boat for $1,400 cash before turning on the waterworks to convince Amber that his wife had recently passed. Amber later testified that Scott had said, quote, it was entirely too painful for him to talk about. He also told her that this would be the first holiday season he spent without her, and she believed it. I hate that. And it's also Mm. like you're telling people your wife is dead and then she like goes missing. Yeah, this is around December 6th when Sibley found out. So somewhere in the early mm, days of December. But at the same time, Scott and his very much still alive wife, Lacey, were struggling financially. On December 10th, Lacey reportedly pawned one of her gold chains for $140. The broker remembers her telling him that her husband would be pleased at the cash out. Four days later, Lacey returned to the pawn shop with Scott to sell more of her jewelry. But this time, the couple left with only $110. What was what was Scott Peterson selling? His fishing equipment? Why is she selling all of her shit? Can't he sell his shit? I don't know. He could, like, sell his fucking boat, maybe. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sorry. This The story isn't funny. Tyranny's getting really upset. I'm sorry. Later that night, Scott made up another lie to leave the house, to leave his pregnant wife at home, to accompany Amber to a holiday party. The dolled-up couple shared a deep chat that night in which Amber, a single mother, expressed her desire to have another child. Scott told her that her daughter was more than enough for him, and if it came down to it, he would choose a vasectomy over fatherhood. Not a good look. No, not while your pregnant wife sits at home alone. What an asshole. It was only 10 days later that Lacey disappeared. It's for sure not a good look. So the day after the vigil, Scott called Amber again to tell her how beautiful she was and update her with his location in France, which he now claimed was Paris, which Tierney loves so much. I hate Paris, (laughs) but okay. What he didn't know was that Amber had already started working as an informant for the police about a week earlier, and now all of their phone conversations were being recorded. Wah, 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 wah. So about a week after Lacey's disappearance, one of Amber's friends had seen Scott on television pleading for the safe return of his wife. She was immediately alarmed by the news since he had told her that his wife was dead and this would be his first Christmas without her, just weeks before her mysterious disappearance. When she confronted him about this, Scott reportedly told her that, quote, there are different kinds of loss. Mm-hmm. And when like asked, he's saying he like he lost her because he didn't love her anymore or something like that. I don't know. Maybe. Oh my God. But Amber asked if he knew where Lacey was. And he said she's she's alive in Modesto. Scott also insisted that Lacey knew about their affair and was OK with it, which is just about the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Yep. <laughs> So on January 17th, 2003, now a little under a month since Lacey went missing, it was revealed that Scott had had two other affairs in addition to the one with Amber Frey throughout the course of their marriage. The first of which was during Scott's final semester at college while Lacey was working in the next town over and Scott was supposedly focusing on his studies. According to that former girlfriend, Scott never once mentioned that he was married. Instead, she found out about it by walking in on Scott and Lacey in bed together. So Lacey did know about that one, but at the end. What did Lacey do about it? Apparently they got through it. The second affair also happened while he was still working towards his degree at California Polytechnic. This time, Scott had told her that he was in the process of divorcing his wife, which was just another one of his lies. This woman reportedly found out the truth when she saw Lacey place a celebratory lay around her husband's neck at his graduation ceremony. The couple appeared to still be very much in love and not at all in the middle of divorce proceedings. So after all that came out, 
On January 24th, 2003, at a press conference, Lacey's family publicly withdrew their support of Scott and now fully believed that he had a hand in her disappearance. Oh, my God. Yes, finally. The family explained that this was mostly due to his recent affair with Amber, in particular, the disturbing fact that Scott had told her that his wife was dead just two weeks before she went missing. Yeah, that's I mean, if he didn't do it, that's like terrible luck. Yeah, he's just going in the opposite direction of good looks at this point. Full speed ahead. Yeah. So Lacey's mother and the police speculated that this conversation was an indication that Scott had already decided to kill his pregnant wife. I mean, I understand where that's coming from. Yeah, I can get behind that. I mean, that. That with the whole bad look. Yeah. So in response to the family's dramatic turn against him, Scott decided to also go public to defend himself. On January 28th, he sat down with Diane Sawyer in the infamous television interview in which he tried to support his original statement to Amber that Lacey was okay with the whole affair. If you can't get it from my voice, I'm doing air quotes every time I say okay. Because yeah, it's just nobody is okay with that unless you're least in an open of all, a pregnant wife. Yeah, I mean, some people have open relationships and are super cool with that, but, you know, I don't get the impression that that was Scott and Lacey's arrangement. Especially with her pregnant. Yeah. In the interview, Scott tearfully describes his marriage as, quote, glorious, and tells Sawyer, I had to say it like that, it's just like a ridiculous word to not say, glorious, anyway, and he told Sawyer that Lacey did in fact know about his affair with Amber. Scott then added that while, quote, I can't say that she was okay, end quote, with the whole thing, it wasn't enough to break the couple apart. So he took back that she was okay with it. Okay. But said that it wasn't enough for them to end their marriage. So she really was not okay with the affair in any way. Detective Craig Grogan of the Modesto Police alleged that, quote, Scott said Lacey was very pissed off about the whole affair well, but that yeah. they were going to get through it oh my god grogan went on saying that scott actually told his half-sister about how angry Lacey had been about the affair after she had gone missing i would be angry the whole time i don't think anybody's believing that she wasn't angry at all yeah i don't i don't know who would believe <laughs> exactly So despite all of this, Scott still attempted to make peace with the Rocha family. On January 31st, 2003, he sent an email to Sharon, Lacey's mother. I'm going to keep reminding you of who people are because there's a lot of names and people in this thing. Yeah, yeah. So in the email, he stated, quote, I never took the time to apologize for my infidelities. I'm truly sorry I was not forthcoming with you. You're sorry that you got caught. You weren't sorry that you did it. Yeah, it didn't do all that much to convince them that he wasn't guilty regarding their still missing daughter. (laughs) A few months pass with no new leads and no sign of Lacey or her unborn son, Connor. Then, on April 13th, 2003, a couple that was out walking their dog found a decomposing body of a late-term male fetus along the San Francisco Bay Shore in Richmond's Point Isabel Regional Shoreline Park. This was just north of Berkeley and not far from where Scott said he went fishing that Christmas Eve morning. The umbilical cord was still attached to the body. According to an anonymous source at Associated Press, there were 1.5 loops of nylon tape around the fetus's neck, and he had a significant cut across his body. The next day, another passerby discovered the body of a recently pregnant woman dressed in beige pants and a maternity bra that had washed up on the eastern shore of the same park, just one mile away from where the baby was found. While the fetus's decomposing body was surprisingly well-preserved, the woman's body that was found was in such a state of decomposition that it was almost unrecognizable as a human body. The woman had been decapitated, and the body was missing parts of its limbs, including most of the legs. And four days after the two bodies were discovered, DNA testing confirmed that the woman was Lacey Peterson, and the late-term fetus was her son, Connor. I just got chills. Like, I knew it was coming, but it's still, like... Yeah. So the tape and all that stuff across his body isn't mentioned again. So I think it's just chalked up to the fact that their bodies were in the water for from December to April when they washed up on shore. So all of the stuff is just the states of decomposition. I'm going to say. Forensic pathologist Dr. Brian Peterson, of no relation to the Peterson family, performed both autopsies. 
Although he could not determine a time or cause of death for Lacey, Dr. Peterson did discover that she had suffered two cracked ribs. However, it wasn't clear if this injury occurred before or after her death. Right. The most interesting discovery in Lacey's autopsy, at least for me, was that all of her organs were missing from her body, except the uterus and her cervix was completely intact. What does that mean? Well, initially, I thought it was pretty like, who would take her organs? And then after thinking about it again, they were presumably in that body of water since Christmas Eve. So it's just decomposition, I think. I think everything is just decomposition and whatever else lives in that, you know. So her organs just decomposed. Nobody took them. No, I don't think so. Okay. But I thought it was pretty interesting because I I wouldn't expect it. So this, all the missing organs combined with the lower level of decomposition that Connor's body had led Dr. Peterson to determine that his body had been expelled from Lacey's decaying body. But whether or not he was born alive or dead could not be determined. Ugh. Yeah. How how far along was she? Was it like eight months? So he definitely could have been born alive. Yeah. So the discovery of the bodies gave lead detectives Brokini and Bueller an even greater sense of urgency. <laughs> they were focusing all of their efforts on Scott Peterson, even going as far as to put a tracker on his car. When the tracker showed Peterson was in San Diego, they began to fear that their main suspect was about to make a run for the border. In 2017, Brokini commented, I just thought we've got to find Scott right now. He told me he was there and that's where the bodies come up. I mean, I believe it was premeditated. He planned it. San Diego was pretty darn close to the Mexican border. Scott knew the area pretty well. That's where his parents lived. That's where he lived. So it wasn't like he was going to have to get on MapQuest to try and figure out to how way to get to Tijuana. Working together with the FBI, the Modesto Police Department performed forensic searches of the Peterson home, as well as Scott's pickup truck, toolbox, warehouse, and boat. He kept his boat in this warehouse. The investigative teams first discovered four or five rings of residue and a powdery substance on Scott's boat trailer. They surmised that these rings were left behind from cement anchors that Scott had made to weigh down Lacey's body. To further support this theory, they also found cement residue in the bed of Peterson's pickup, and a large spill of it on the floor of his warehouse. Despite this evidence, the police were never able to recover the homemade anchors that they believe Scott used to sink his wife's body to the bottom of the bay. So so it's just a theory. Yeah. But if that wasn't the case, wouldn't they have been able to find the anchors? You would think. Yeah. Yeah. In that same warehouse where Scott kept his boat, investigators found two large tubs, a pair of Nike tennis shoes, and a shop vacuum, which they believe were also used in the disposal of the body. They also discovered a claw hammer with cement residue on it in the back of Scott's truck. I'm not sure what that really has to do with anything, but there's just cement everywhere. Yeah. After finding all of this evidence in their search, the Modesto police moved in and arrested Scott Peterson on April 18th, 2003. They found him near a La Jolla golf course where he claimed he was about to play a few rounds of golf with his father and brother because, you know, he wanted to be a pro golfer. And then he was going to go fishing. <laughs> his previously dark brown hair had been dyed an orangey blonde color and his Mercedes Benz was, quote, overstuffed with various items, including nearly $15,000 in cash, 12 Viagra tablets, survival gear, camping equipment, several changes of clothes, four cell phones, and his brother's driver's license. Scott's father came to his defense and told the police that Scott had used his brother's ID to get in to the golf course because you had to be a member. Okay. And that what he about had been, all of the other stuff? Oh, he said he'd been living out of his car to avoid media attention. Which I mean, like, okay, but they didn't buy it. They believe that he had intended to flee to Mexico. Like, if he is innocent, he's just the stupidest person. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, he like he's wanted not to have himself. a really bad look. He's not yeah. helping himself. On April 21st, 2003, Peterson sat before Judge Nancy Ashley in Stanislaw County Superior Court for his arraignment. He was charged with two felony counts of murder with premeditation and additional special circumstances. The charges were first-degree murder of Lacey and the second-degree murder of their unborn son, Connor. Scott Peterson pleaded not guilty to both. Of course he did. But what do you think he is, Tierney? I feel like I don't know everything, but from 
the information I have and the impression I get of him, I think that he's guilty. Yeah, so he wasn't a super great guy. We got that. Yeah. But for whether or not he's guilty or innocent, well, I can't promise you that answer in part two, but there's we'll, we'll talk more about it. There's a lot more in part two. Yeah. We're going to go through the trial, the problems with the jury, and then the problems with the case itself. Which I feel like there's going to be a lot of. There's a lot. A lot. Yeah. Did you talk about, and I just missed it, there's like the picture of him smiling at the uh, memorial? No, I didn't mention that. But he, yeah, he did have a weird, he was smiling at the memorial. That's like one of the things I remember about hearing about this case. Mm-hmm. And like him being judged for not looking upset. Yeah, it was a lot. A lot of people judged him based on how he was reacting to the news. Which I feel like isn't fair. Necessarily. No, because you don't know. Nobody knows how you're going to react to that yeah. kind of thing. And God forbid if you that you ever have to. I hope you never, ever, ever have to. But you don't know. Granted, it's not a great look. Yeah, to, I mean, most people would be upset. But it does it does look really bad. His infidelity mixed with the fact that the body's washed up only just two miles away from where he was fishing. Mm-hmm. And can't remember if I mentioned this. I get into the evidence a lot more in part two. But the evidence repeated right now was there was a lot of cement in the warehouse. There were rings that they believe was found there. And I believe that's all I've mentioned yet. There's a lot more evidence, though. Okay. Evidence to come. I can't wait. But for our caboose. Yeah. Um, because it's Christmas Eve, uh, we are going to do a quiz. It's co- Last week we did the ultimate true crime quiz. This Which week, we pretty much nailed. I, I mean, mean, we, we learned a lot, well. but we did pretty good. Yeah. This week we're going to do the ultimate Christmas movie quiz. Ooh. So s- before we get into that, though. So before we get into our fun little game... You can email us what you think. Do you think... Email us before Thursday because that's when the second part comes out. But email email us what you think. Do you think he's guilty? Do you think he's innocent? Are you going to wait for the rest of the evidence? Are you going to go research it yourself? Don't know. But let us know at... DeadDrunkPod at gmail.com. I had to think about it for a second. <laughs> DeadDrunkPod at gmail.com. If you want to slide into our DMs on Instagram, you can at... DeadDrunkCrime. If you want to tweet at us, you can at Dead Drunk Crime. If you want to check out our blog and pictures of our drinks and the recipes and listen to this episode all in one place, you can go to deadrunk.home.blog. We also have merch and the link will be in our show notes. Yes, we and do. did I forget something? Uh, if the giveaway is still going on, you can enter that on our Instagram. Yeah, we don't have an end date for that. We don't know when that's going to end. Maybe we'll have it end like at the end of the year. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, we'll have it end at the end of the year. So you still have time. Yeah, so you guys you have a lot of time. A shirt and some stickers and a uh, mason jar. Mason jar cup and maybe alcohol. We don't really know. The we don't know. We're just going to give you some stuff because we love you and we appreciate that you've been listening and we want to help you in your quest to hear about really terrible things <laughs> while you get drunk. Yeah. Yeah, we're here for you. We understand that you like this stuff and we appreciate that there's more of us out there because it's really weird to talk about with yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really weird to sit at home alone and be like... And be like, oh my gosh, I wonder what happened to JonBenet Ramsey. (laughs) Exactly. And then your teddy bear doesn't answer. And you're like, I don't know either. And then your cat doesn't answer. Your cat doesn't answer. (laughs) All right. So we're going to take the ultimate Christmas movie quiz. Woo. Right now. Think you know your festive cinematic favorites? Test your knowledge with our Christmas movies quiz. From Cuddly Family Fair to Darker Yuletide Adventures. This is from... Is it Amex or Amex? I think Amex. Okay. Oh, it's American Express. Yeah. Am- Amex. Amexessentials.com slash Christmas movie trivia quiz. Okay. <clears throat> I might bomb this one. The if Polar I'm- Express became a huge holiday favorite in the mid-2000s. Star Tom Hanks worked overtime playing multiple roles, but how many characters did he play? Oh, okay. 12, 3, or 6? Okay, wait. He was Santa. He was the conductor. 
and he was, mm, I think he was a kid, and I think he, uh, probably 12, I don't know. Let's go with 12. No, it was six. Ah. They were trying to, they were trying to trick us, right? Like, he worked overtime. Oh, but he did work overtime. Six is still a lot. I mean, yeah, but it's not 12. Yeah. Do better. (laughs) Just kidding. All right, so around the same time, Will Ferrell won our hearts as the super festive Buddy the Elf in the film Elf. Buddy finds out he was adopted by Santa and sets out to find his real father in New York. Which iconic building does his real dad work in? Is it the Empire State Building, the Statue of Liberty, or Bloomingdale's? <laughs> the Empire State Building. <laughs> yeah. You can't work in the Statue of Liberty? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you could. Don't they do As tours? like a tour guide? I yeah. Guess. But you still don't technically work in there. You're like know. on Ellis Island. I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. I've never been. Me neither. I, I thought wanna. it was on Liberty Island. Ellis Island is the immigrants. Oh, island. you're right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Never mind. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger faced his toughest opponent yet, Christmas shopping season, in comedy jingle all the way. What was the name of the trendy toy his son desperately wanted? Ooh, Turbo Man. Nice. (laughs) I didn't even have to read the options. Oh, my God. I love that movie. (laughs) I feel like I'm living my trivia host dreams right now. (laughs) (laughs) One comedy definitely not for the whole family was A Bad Mom's Christmas, released for the 2017 holiday season. Which actress led the all-star cast? Mila Kunis. Yeah. There's also literally a picture of the... uh, (laughs) Which actress is this? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yes. It's Mila Kunis. Mm Mm-hmm. In How the Grinch Stole Christmas, starring Jim Carrey, what's the name of the title character's dog? Max. Yeah. Dude, that one's so easy. So easy. What a great movie, though. Oh, my gosh. I know. All right. An eternal holiday favorite, It's a Wonderful Life, takes place in which fictional town? Oh. Paradise Falls, Langley Falls, or Bedford Falls? Bedford Falls? Yeah, dude. Yeah. Yeah, dude. We are crushing it. I don't like that movie, Uh, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I haven't seen it in, like, years, so I don't know. A teenager gets more than he bargained for from his Christmas present in 80s cult hit Gremlins. <laughs> Which Disney film do the furry critters end up watching at a movie theater? Is it Sleeping Beauty, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, or Fantasia? Mm. I've, n- I've never seen this. Have you? No. If I'm being honest. It's what? probably Snow White. I want to I say Snow White. Maybe it's Fantasia. I, I've never seen it. I know about Gremlins. Like, I've seen them. And yeah. All right. I'll and go then, like Snow you White. can't get yeah, them. Yeah, it was Snow stuff. White. Woo! All right, we did it. Good guess. Ooh, <laughs> I love this one. Christmas was all around in the British ensemble comedy Love Actually, but who played the UK Prime Minister who fell in love with a member of his staff? Who played that guy? I don't know. I do. Do you want me to give you the yeah options? Hugh Grant, Liam Neeson, or Chiwetelja? <laughs> <laughs> Or <laughs> that guy, Scar. That guy played Scar, right? I guess. That guy with the name. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Was it Liam Neeson? No, it was Hugh Grant. You've never seen Love Actually? No, but I love Liam uh. Neeson. No, John talks about it all the time, I think. Well, I mean, Liam Neeson is in it, but Liam Neeson doesn't play the prime minister. Oh. I would respect the prime minister a lot more if it was Liam Neeson. <laughs> But I love Hugh Grant. Oh, oh there's nothing wrong with him. He's just You're not right, Liam Neeson. You're right. There's nothing wrong. Don't talk shit about Hugh Grant, okay? It's not shit. It's just that he's oh not Liam Neeson. Oh, my God. I know he's not. Thank God. <laughs> hey, that would be really weird in Bridget Jones. All right. <laughs> All right. It may not be very traditional, but Die Hard has become an alternative Christmas movie for people looking to get away from the schmaltz. It's my favorite christmas movie. is it yeah <laughs> all right well you better get this right then okay what does detective john McLean write on the sweater of a dead henchman to send a message to hans gruber ho 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 now i have a machine gun yeah now i have a <laughs> machine gun ho, ho, ho. that's so <laughs> fucking funny i've never seen die hard oh my god <laughs> i know but like my my bay is in it oh alan yeah. rickman alan rickman <laughs> you have to watch it it's so good He's so good in it. I love him. He's so good in literally everything. That's true. All right. In The Santa Claus, Tim Allen plays Scott, an overworked dad who accidentally inherits the job of Santa Claus. What was Scott's original job? A postal worker, a football coach, or an advertising executive? An advertising executive. It was really boring. Yes. Yeah. All right. 
Raucous. Is that a word? Raucous? I don't know. R-A-U-C-O-U-S? Yeah. Raucous adult comedy the night before. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Raucous adult comedy the night before follows three lifelong friends, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Anthony Mackie, and Seth Rogen, on a booze-filled Christmas Eve bar crawl. That sounds like so much fun. I've never heard of this movie. Me either, but I want to watch it now. Which outrageous pop star do they run into? Lady Gaga, Miley Cyrus, or Nicki Minaj? Oh, it's probably Nicki Minaj. No, wait, would she do that? It was Maybe. Miley. I, oh, I, of I course it was Miley. Too. Yeah, I guess so. Oh, well. That makes a lot of sense. All right. The Muppet Christmas Carol became a <laughs> beloved classic, still shown in de- every December in cinemas. Which character did non-Muppet star Sir Michael Caine play? Jacob Marley, Tiny Tim, or Ebenezer Scrooge? Probably Jacob Marley. No, he was Scrooge. What? Uh, oh yeah, my God. that's how you can tell I didn't see it. Oh, my God. Next one is my absolute favorite. Macaulay Culkin was home for the holidays in the blockbuster Home Alone. Which city did his family visit, leaving him behind to fend off the burglars? It's a city that I would have liked to be left home alone from, too, because it is Paris. (laughs) 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 Ooh, Culkin was forgotten again two Christmases later in Home Alone 2 Lost in New York. Which future U.S. president makes a cameo in the film? Donald Trump. I know, and I'm pissed about it. Adam Adam and I watched this the other day. I don't know why. It was like on, and I was like, yeah, fuck yeah. Oh, you don't like the second one? Yeah, I do, but it like didn't age well. Tim Curry, fucking incredible. Oh, yeah. Love Tim Curry. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like a part where he goes to the Twin Towers. And I'm like, oh, and, <laughs> <Uh-oh. laughs> and then like Donald Trump is in it. And it's like, oh, mm, yeah. you know, whatever. All right. Christmas set comedy trading places revolves around a wager between two rich men who force a stockbroker and a homeless man to trade lives. How much was the wager for? One dollar. One million dollars or twenty five dollars? I don't know. Twenty five dollars. <laughs> I feel like it's either a million or one. Okay. I have no idea. I've never heard of this before. Neither have I. A wager between two rich men. Oh, probably so a probably million. Million, then. right? Yeah. No, it was one dollar. <laughs> Why? What is the point? <laughs> Go through all that work for one dollar? They're just bored, I guess. Yeah. That makes more sense. I don't understand how they force these people to switch lives. I don't know. How did the two rich men force other people to switch lives? Probably kidnapping. <laughs> if you've seen Trading Places, please let me know. <laughs> okay. Which beloved British actor plays Santa Claus in the 1994 remake of A Miracle on 34th Street? Tim Curry, Alan Rickman, or Richard Attenborough. Holy shit. Those really are beloved British actors. Yeah. But is it? I feel like it's going to be the last one because if it was Alan Rickman or Or Tim Tim Curry, Curry, we would know, right? Yeah. That's what I'm feeling. Those are like two of my. Mm -hmm. Also, Tim Curry, while his acting abilities are incredible, he didn't necessarily age well. So I don't know that I could see him. This was in 1994. Oh, wait. Okay. What did he look like in 94? Hot, probably. I don't know. (laughs) I feel like Tim Curry and Alan Rickman both have very distinct voices that I don't know could pass for Santa Claus. I think it's the other guy. Yeah, it was. Yeah. (laughs) I'm picturing Alan Rickman as Santa Claus. Like, ho, ho, ho. ho. (laughs) (laughs) So bad, but like, you get what I'm trying to do. (laughs) (laughs) And then his cape billows out behind him and he's like, ho, 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 pata. (laughs) Holy shit. I I would stay up for Santa if it was Alan Rickman. (laughs) Or Tim Curry honestly all right tim curry i feel like would be a really scary santa just because of his role as pennywise in it (laughs) (laughs) those are just my feelings sorry um he's best in clue so yeah no he is anyway billy bob thornton played a considerably less cuddly saint nick in bad santa what is the name of the lovable young boy who he befriends 
Oh, that sounded really weird. These are the worst names. What's the name of the lovable young boy he befriended? <laughs> Why was he befriending young children? I don't know, but these are the names. Ready? Yeah. Willie T. Soak, Marcus Skidmore, or Thurman Merman. Oh, my God. I hope it's the it, last one. It has one. to be Thurman Merman, right? <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, it was. Oh, <laughs> thank God. Thurman you Merman. Can't, you can't make up a name like Thurman Merman and have it not be the answer. All right. The film White Christmas features the Bing Crosby song of the same name, one of the most famous holiday tunes of all time. However, it was not the first film to feature the song in which the following Crosby films did it first appear. Ooh. Holiday Inn, High Society, or Little Boy Lost. I've only heard of Holiday Inn. Let's pick that one. Yeah, that was it. Woo! Nailed it. I like White Christmas. I saw it for the first time last Christmas. I honestly don't think I've ever seen it. It's the one where it has, like, sisters. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I've seen parts of it, but I haven't actually sat down and watched no. it. Anyway, 1983 comedy A Christmas Story is an American tradition with one television network playing it nonstop for 24 hours every Christmas day since 1997. That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> the story centers around a boy who longs for a BB gun for Christmas, but what warning do all the adults in his life, including Santa, give him when he asks for it? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Perfect. <laughs> that was a good impression. I love that. Thanks. <laughs> all right. The Nightmare Before Christmas has been a spooky December alternative for over 20 years, but which holiday is also prominently featured in the film? Obviously Halloween. What yeah, kind of dumb joking? question was that? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> all right. In the cheery romantic comedy The Holiday, Cameron Diaz swaps homes with Kate Winslet and falls for which British actor? Oh, I'll know him when you say his name. I can't get it. <laughs> Jude Law, Colin Firth, oh, that Grant. One. Jude Law. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Jack Black is apparently in it. Yeah, he's the he's Kate Winslet, Winslet's uh, love interest. Oh, my God. I didn't know Jack Black has ever played a love interest in anything. I know it's weird, but it kind of works. Oh, okay. It kind of worked for me. All right. Now for something a little bit different. Which movie star turned to singing during Christmas 2001, scoring a number one hit single across the world in a duet with pop star Robbie Williams? Kate Winslet, Nicole Kidman, or Jennifer Lopez? Is it, is it Jennifer Lopez? I don't know. I Wasn't don't Jennifer Lopez already singing before 2001 or no? Oh, yeah. Wasn't she? Yeah. I mean, so she was an actress, though. So the, other, the one that's not Kate Winslet, I think. Nicole Kidman? Yeah, that one. Yeah, it was. I don't think that Kate Winslet can sing, and she strikes me as somebody that's like, no, I can't sing. Like, <laughs> She's like, I can't sing, and I'm not going to try. Yeah, I can't sing, and I'm not going to do it. I don't know that for sure. Kate Winslet, if you can sing, sing. Kate Winslet, Show if you're me. listening, please. <laughs> if you're single. listening, please sing to me. Yeah. <laughs> Believe it or not, 1992's dark blockbuster Batman Returns is technically a Christmas movie. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> I guess. What decoration do Batman and Catwoman say can be deadly if you eat it? Candy canes, mistletoe, or tinsel? Mistletoe. Although I think all of those things can be deadly if you eat it. <laughs> Not candy canes. Well, if you sharpen it down and then it gets stuck in your throat and then well, you choke on it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't like candy canes. The candy cane killer next week on Dead Drunk. <laughs> It's just candy canes. Don't eat candy canes. They're <laughs> gross. They're like the candy corn of Christmas. Yeah. That's true. All right. In 2015, Netflix released A Very Murray Christmas, <laughs> a musical spectacular starring Bill Murray and directed by Sofia Coppola, which A-list superstar also appears as himself in the film. Holy shit. I don't know what this is, but I have to go watch it immediately. I literally know we have to go. <laughs> <laughs> Colin Farrell, Will Smith, or George Clooney. I don't know. I want to say. If I want to say George Clooney. Oh, you see, I was going to say if it's a musical spectacular, I would want to assume Will Smith. Oh, OK. No, you make a fair point. Yeah. Because the other ones are the other ones musical. No. Oh, you're right. It was George Clooney. Oh, I just felt like that would be something he would be down for. That's true. All right. Finally, animated hit Arthur Christmas follows the good natured Arthur as he rushes to deliver the one present the North Pole forgot to give out. What relation is Arthur to Santa, his nephew, cousin, or son? All right. Nephew? That's what I would guess. 
No, it was his son. Oh, that's weird. Santa had a son. And he named him Arthur. Arthur Kohler, wood expert. Arthur, <laughs> Arthur Claus, wood, wood expert. expert. All right. We Every got 19 out of 25 right. Great job. You clearly know a thing or two about cult Christmas films, but you still have an excuse to do a bit more research this holiday season. You know what wasn't mentioned? What? This animated film called Robbie the Reindeer. Oh, God. What? Oh, it's really <laughs> terrible. <laughs> it's really terrible. But I remember when I was a kid, we had like a, I had like a sleepover and my dad was like, I got you this movie. And I'm pretty sure I thought it was the new Harry Potter movie on DVD. And I was like, yes, put it in. And it was freaking Robbie the Reindeer. <laughs> <laughs> you know what one I loved? Olive the other reindeer. Drew Barrymore was the voice of the dog that thought she was a reindeer. What? You've never seen this? No, I don't think so. Okay, so sh- it's about this dog named Olive. And she's listening in her doghouse to the radio. And she lives with this flea. And the flea is hard of hearing. And they come on the radio and Santa's saying... I need help from all of the other reindeer, like all of the other reindeer. Oh, my gosh. And she thinks that he says, or the flea convinces Olive that he says, Olive, the other reindeer. And so she leaves home and goes on a quest to find Santa and ends up like flying his sleigh. Oh, my God. That's the the cutest thing ever. Yeah. (laughs) It's because like Donner broke his or Donner. I don't know what his name is. Donner like, broke his leg or his leg or something. So he couldn't fly. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it was a really cute movie, though. That sounds super cute. Yeah. All right. Um. Bye, Mom. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> All right. Bye.